Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to continue on uh, in our series, our foundational series. I have three more installments uh, to go, and then we are going to jump into some other things. We're going to be looking here in the, this is a, a shameless plug for a future series, but I'm really looking forward to getting into this. We're going to dive into, uh, we're going to look at the philosophical underpinnings of our present crisis. The insanity, when you turn on your TV and you hear people saying things that you think, are they for real? Do they really believe that? There is a reason they believe what they believe. And so we're going to look at the development of that philosophy because we can't engage culture unless we understand it. And so we're going to be looking at this. We're going to do a wide overview uh, so that we can, there are, there are specific things that you and I can do to become the answer to the present cultural crisis, especially the present crisis among sexual confusion, okay? There are things that you and I can do, but we've got to understand the present crisis in order for us to engage. And so we're going we're gonna to take a deep dive into all of this. Uh, some of you, you may even be hearing me and saying, oh, I think I already disagree with them. Well, give me some time. Give me the honor of a hearing, okay? And we're going we're gonna to connect some dots over the next number of weeks uh, coming up here. And I really look forward to getting into this, but not today. Today, we're going we're gonna to continue on in our series on the foundations of the faith. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Hebrews 6. Uh, let me shrink this down. We're going to, uh, in Hebrews 6, we don't, some people think they know, but we don't know for sure who the author of Hebrews is. I think it very well may be Apollos. Uh, some people say that now it matches Paul's writing. There's some difference between this book and Paul's other writings, to be sure. Uh, and there's, there's an eloquence to Hebrews and a flow to it and an anchoring it in the Jewish religion. It's really a beautiful book. And so we, we don't know who wrote it. I think possibly it's Apollos. Apollos was known to be very learned in the Hebrew scriptures and very eloquent. Uh, but there were some things he didn't know. And so Priscilla and Aquila took him under their arm and taught him. But uh, so Hebrews chapter six, let's look here. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So he's talking about there are levels in your walk. There's the elementary levels and there's the mature level. And there's levels in between. We're to go from glory to glory. We're to grow in our faith. We're to grow in our walk with God. Uh, if you believe the exact same things you did five years ago, it's not a good thing. We need to be able, we need to continue to grow. And one of the ways in which you grow is growing in your knowledge. Peter says this in 1 Peter. Uh, he said, grace and peace be unto you that you may grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, there's one of the ways in which we grow in Christ is growing in our knowledge. It's, he says, grace and peace be unto you through your knowledge. And so the way we receive fresh grace is fresh understanding. Your understanding is the limitation. It's, it's the lid on your growth. 
And so this thing of knowing, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul talks about is essential to you growing. And so we need to continue to be asking, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding. I want to understand. I want to grow. Uh, one of the most valuable things you can have as a believer is a sense of curiosity about spiritual things. If you don't have curiosity, I question your spiritual hunger. A major part of spiritual hunger is this desire to understand spiritual things. And if you don't have that, ask for it. Ask for the grace of hunger. Ask God to begin to give you a desire to understand. And so Hebrews chapter 6, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So now he's using this phrase, a foundation. We have a foundation to our faith, and there are certain components to this foundation. Now, there's other passages that speak of the foundation. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 1 Corinthians talks about the foundation of Jesus and said, no man can lay any other foundation except that of Jesus Christ. So is this a contradiction? No. Jesus is the material of the foundation. God is going to build Christ into your life. You're to be conformed to Christ. God wants to lay that material, so to speak, in your life. He wants to build Jesus in you. The builders of the original foundation were the apostles and prophets. And they also build, there's a foundational element to apostolic and prophetic ministry we're not going to get into today, but when God wants to do something fresh, he'll often raise up apostolic and prophetic ministry to lay a fresh foundation. But in this, this passage here, it's not the material, it's the methodology of the building. In other words, how does God build Jesus into your life? He tells us right here. Laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instructions in baptisms, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So there's six components or six uh, facets to how God builds a foundation in your life. This is not the whole Christian life. This is not all the Christian life entails, but it is, it bookends the Christian life. The beginning is repentance and faith. Scripture says, how do you, how do you get into the kingdom? Repentance and faith. Repent and believe. You turn from and you turn to. You agree with God's estimation of your life without Christ that causes you to repent. You turn from that. And by faith, you turn to Christ. You put your faith in him. That is the, that is the, that's how the, the life flow of the Christian life begins. And how it culminates is the last two components to these six elements of the foundation. The last two were the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And it's interesting that the Christian life will culminate here in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments, but yet this is part of the foundational teachings. Because you and I need to have eternity in view. We need to live now with eternity in view. The old timers used to say, have eternity stamped upon your eyes. We need to live now in light of eternity. And so we have those elements. We're going to get into those two elements next. 
Uh, but today I want to look at uh, the, the, the middle two, and we're going to just deal with the latter of the middle two. So you have the first two, repentance and faith. The second two, baptisms and the laying on of hands. We've already dealt with baptisms. And then the last two are the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. We're going to look at those in the future. Today I want to look at the laying on of hands. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to look at the present landscape of Christianity, if I were to look at the bulk of teaching in the United States of America, I personally would not have come to the conclusion that the laying on of hands is a foundational doctrine because it's not something that's talked about a lot. Now, you'll hear of it more in Pentecostal charismatic circles, especially in revival circles, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that in a moment. But what we need to understand is this is a foundational teaching. And underneath that heading of the laying on of hands, there are several elements that flow out of that, several different subjects that we really do need to grasp that are really foundational. One of which is authority. Think, well, pastor, how do you get authority out of that? We'll get to that. One of the things, Roger and Shirley Helley and Kathy and I were visiting last weekend and I was telling them, I am so grateful for my time and teen challenge for a lot of reasons. But one of the primary things that I still so treasure over my time with teen challenge is their emphasis on this subject of authority. It was hammered into our head, the importance of authority. You know why? Because all of us got there through our rebellion. I, didn't, I never knew one guy in Teen Challenge that thought, God has been so good to me, I'm just going to go to Teen Challenge to show how much I love him. We all ended up there because of this dysfunction in our life, and the root of which was rebellion. We were anti-authority. There was something within the heart of almost every student that said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. At least that was the nature of our life before we arrived. And I needed to get under authority. And so I remember the guy that, the first director of the, the, uh, the, the center in Des Moines. Anybody here know Don Dye? Anybody remember that name? You guys remember Don Dye? Yeah. Uh, Ed, Ed and Bonnie. Matter of fact, I ate Christmas dinner at Ed and Bonnie's house in 1984 as a Teen Challenge student. Isn't that amazing? We're still running together. And I didn't learn until like 25 years later that Ed didn't even get any food because all the students ate it all. So Ed and I did dishes together looking out the window. And, uh, but Don Dye was the director. He was 25 years old. He was a 25-year-old Bible student. His wife was a 23-year-old young gal. And they were real old people to me because I was 18. And uh, they were just very mature. And uh, I remember Don having a conversation with us, and he said, you know, I've thought about making a rule that every student on Tuesdays has to wear one yellow sock and one red one. He said, you know why? Just so you have to do something you don't understand and deal with it. <laughs> and I felt that old rebellion rising up, even as he said it. But I needed a place where I had to come under authority. I needed a place where I had to do what I was told even if I didn't understand, even if I didn't agree. In fact, I would propose to you, you don't even have an opportunity to submit to authority until you disagree with authority. When you agree with authority, 
you're doing what you think you should do. And you're just glad that God gave you such brilliant leaders that they see what you see because they're as brilliant as you. But when you have a leader, whether it's a boss, a parent, a pastor, when you have somebody that occupies a position of authority and they say something you don't agree with, that is your opportunity to submit. The word submission means a mission underneath. The word obey, the word obedience, it has the idea of to hear under. It's we're submitting our will to another. And every one of us need to learn to do that. And it's not because, oh, well, this person is smarter than me or this person is more spiritual than I am or any of those other reasons. It's because they occupy a position called authority. Romans chapter 13 is very clear. God has established all authority. He, it, it's not that God necessarily appointed every person that's in authority. He has established a structure known as authority. And one, when someone steps into that position, you honor the position even when you may not be able to honor the person. You honor the position even if you lack respect for the person. You don't speak against them, you submit because of that position. That's a very important principle. And it really does have everything to do with the laying on of hands. Let me back up here. The Old Testament, there was, you see this principle of the laying on of hands. And again, this seems like a weird subject to be the, one of the foundations of the Christian life. But way back in the Old Testament, we see the laying on of hands show up, even as early as the patriarchs. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're laying their hands on their sons, and they're blessing them. It was an avenue through which blessing was released. And it wasn't just wishful thinking. It wasn't the dad looking at him and thinking, I like this one, and so I'm going to release my car collection to him. And I like this one, and I'm going to say that this is what's going to happen to you. There was a binding element to the blessing. So much so that when Isaac was going to bless his son, you remember Jacob said, oh, I want, the, I want the blessing of the firstborn because the firstborn in a family always got a double portion. In other words, if there were five sons, the belongings were divided up into six portions and the first one got two portions while the other ones got one. And so Jacob saw that Esau was going to be getting the blessing. He saw that his father was getting along in years and he was going to pass very soon. And he wanted to get that double portion. So what did he do? It says that Esau was hairy, had red hair. He was so hairy, this freaks me out by the way, he was so hairy that what Jacob did is he took sheepskin, put it on his arms, and when his dad grabbed, because his dad, his eyes had failed him, he couldn't see anymore, and Jacob comes in with his mother's help, comes in with sheepskin on him, and he puts his voice lower and says, Dad, it's me, Esau, and he says, Esau? And he grabbed his arm and he felt the fur and he said, oh, it's you. That kind of freaks me out. That's one hairy dude, okay? He he wouldn't have had to wear pants. He could just starch his legs and look like he had tweed pants on. I mean, this guy was hairy. So anyways, I digress. But it says he smells him and he feels him. He says, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. So in other words, he was as hairy as an animal. He smelled like one. 
And so he released the firstborn blessing over Jacob. And Jacob scurries out. And Esau comes in a little later and says, Father, I'm here. And he said, who is this? He said, it's me, Esau. And he recognizes the voice and he realizes and he begins to wail. And he said, I've already given everything to your brother Jacob. Now, I don't know about you, but in my natural mind, I would have said, well, I take it back. We're canceling that. The kid deceived me. We're going to hold this back and I'll give it to you. But Jacob, Esau, and Isaac, all three understood a principle of the laying on of hands and the release of a blessing that was binding. It's, it's an amazing thing. So therefore, we need to understand the power of our words and what we can release on people's lives. You can bless your kids and you can curse your kids. There is a binding element that we can release the destiny of God on our children. It's an an amazing thing. Now, the fact is, if you were cursed by your parents, you don't have to live under that because the the first sermon we heard this morning was that thing stops at Adam, okay? We can get out from underneath those curses. But the fact is, our words carry weight and we need to understand that. And there are a lot of young people bearing, they're, they're living under the weight of words that should have never been spoken. We see again this, this release of, of blessing all through the Old Testament. We even see the release of sin. There was such a thing as called the scapegoat at, at the, you know, the once a year and the Passover, they would lay their hands on the scapegoat and the scapegoat would have the sins imparted to them, that goat would go out into the the wilderness and then they would kill the sacrificial lamb and offer it up to God. There was this impartation of sin. In the New Testament, amen. In the New Testament, that likes my preaching. In the New Testament, there's the impartation of righteousness. Paul talked to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy chapter one, he said, Stir up the gift that is within you through the laying on of my hands. So Timothy, one of the first century, first century apostles, had gifts that he functioned in that he received through the laying on of Paul's hands. In the Old Covenant, we saw this sin being transferred. In the New Covenant, we see power being transferred. Again and again throughout the New Testament. Matter of fact, this, you know, we just we just read this morning. There are these two middle components to the foundation are instructions and baptisms and the laying on of hands. The the instructions and baptisms in the early church, they would go down in the water understanding that they're leaving their old man behind. They were saved, but they were gonna take that old man, that dead body. Matter of fact, many of you remember Sandra Collier. She's now with the Lord, but her and Quimby were pastors here for a number of years. And Sandra was a very prophetic woman. When she first really began to walk with the Lord, the Lord gave her a vision one day and she was carrying around a dead body. And the Lord said, arise and be baptized. 
In other words, don't carry that old dead man around with you. Lay him, her, under the watery grave and come up in newness of life. Water baptism, according to Romans 6, is our burial. And we come out of that water, it's our resurrection and the spirit came upon Jesus and it's to come upon us. The death and the resurrection power. But in the New Testament, often you would see the impartation of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. So the early church had a custom. They would take the new believers into the water. They would submerge them in water. When they would come up, then the apostles and the church fathers would lay hands on them and they would receive the Spirit. There was an impartation. Now how am I tying this in with authority? Because there is something that is imparted to us from other people that carry something in God. And this is something that people feel uncomfortable with. The Reformation under Martin Luther and some of the other leaders of that Reformation were trying to bring a correction, but we overcorrected. Paul did clearly say, we have one mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the mediator, Jesus Christ. I don't need another mediator, but that doesn't mean I don't need intercessors, and it doesn't mean I don't need leaders in my life, and it doesn't mean that I can't receive from people who carry something and lay hands on me. And there's, been, there's this idea in the body of Christ that, well, I don't need anybody to pray for me. I've got, I've got a, you know, a line to heaven, and you do. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to use other people in your life. Back in the mid-90s, there was a tremendous revival broke out in Pensacola, Florida. Previous to that, it broke, up, broke out in Toronto, Canada. And really, what happened at Brownsville and Pensacola came out of the revival in Canada. But where that came from, there was a young vineyard pastor by the name of Randy Clark. Randy's been here a number of times. I've never seen anybody that carries impartation like Randy Clark. That thing of the laying on of hands and gifts being imparted. John Wimber, who was the, not the founder, but really the father of the vineyard movement for many years, heard the audible voice of the Lord over Randy twice, and the Lord said, he will travel the world releasing apostolic impartation. He never told Randy. It wasn't until after John had passed away that somebody close to John said, said to Randy, you mean John never told you? He said, told me what? What he heard over you. He said he heard the audible voice of the Lord twice over your life. And so Randy, what, what happened with Randy is Randy was pastoring a small vineyard church in St. Louis, and Randy really had a beef with the Word of Faith movement. So much so that he would say, if you are here for the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, this is not the place. You can go out that door and go up the street. They'll, they'll tell you about that stuff. And his wife would say, Randy, don't say that. But Randy had an attitude. He had... He had some, some things he had to work through. But Randy was also very hungry for a move of God. And he heard about this guy, Rodney Howard Brown, ministering, and revival had broken out in Florida. 
And he heard he was going to be speaking at a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Kenneth Hagin's ministry at Rama Bible Institute, one of the citadels of word of faith theology. And the Lord told him, if you want a fresh touch, go there and get it. And for Randy, it was similar to the, the general that went to Elisha and asked for prayer. And Elisha told him, go bathe in the muddy river. And he said, we've got better rivers in my hometown. He said, okay. And he started to go back to his home because he had leprosy and his servant went and said, you know, master, if, if he would have told you to do something noble, you would have done it. In other words, he was risking his life saying, maybe you ought to humble yourself. And he did. He went down in the river and dipped seven times and came up healed. And to Randy, that was a muddy river, but he had to humble himself. And Rodney Howard Brown prayed over him three times. And on the third time when he prayed for him, Randy's hands just went like frozen. Just, they were, just went very cold. And, and uh, Rodney said, lay hands on everything that moves. You've received an impartation. And the rest is history. The entire move underneath Roland and Heidi Baker came out of one impartation when Randy prayed for Heidi. They had been in Mozambique for five years and had miraculously established five small churches in five years, which is an amazing thing. But they were so broken, they, they were contemplating not going back. Their, their health was just spent. In the next five years, they planted 5,000 churches. Leif Hetland was an unknown Norwegian Baptist pastor. Didn't know who Randy Clark was, but he just showed up at a meeting and Randy went down and praying and saw Leif and he laid his hand on Leif and he said, I see you as a bulldozer in the Middle East. There's great darkness in front of you and I see millions of souls behind you. Leif didn't even have a, a burden for the Middle East at that time. Within six months, he was in the Middle East preaching to campaigns of tens of thousands of people. He has seen well, way over, probably, probably closer to a million people come into the kingdom, many of them in Pakistan. Tremendous miracles began to break out in his life. From that day on, there was an impartation. But there's something about this element of impartation that we have to value what's on somebody else's life. And that takes an act of humility. I've had friends, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I, I say, man, if I see someone with an anointing, I'm going to get my, my balding head. It's getting thinner. My head under their oily hands. I want to I be prayed for by people. If they have something that I recognize I want, I want to get prayer from them. Because by chance, God may impart something to me. I've had friends, we, you know, we'll, we'll drive out over to a revival. I've had other friends say, you know what? I don't need to go there. God's here. God's in my church just as much as he's over there. If he wants to send a revival, he'll do it here. And theoretically, that's true. But there's something about hunger that will go and pursue those things and put ourselves under someone else. The laying on of hands is a foundational doctrine. And it really does have to do with recognizing the touch of God on someone's life and saying, I'm going to honor that. And I'm going I'm to have hands laid on me. 
The other component this had to do with is in the New Testament. Paul said this, he said, lay hands on no man suddenly. What's he talking about? It was the way in which they would ordain people into ministry. Because remember what we said, Isaac released something to Jacob that he couldn't take back. God will honor positions of authority. I'm telling you, positions of authority in the kingdom are a very serious thing. I remember this was a number of years ago, I was praying in the sanctuary and all of a sudden I saw in the spirit, I saw these seats surrounding this sanctuary and I knew they were elders' seats. That, and the Lord was telling me, these are very serious positions. When you appoint an elder in the kingdom, you've invited them into a seat of authority that's very, very serious. Because suddenly they carry weight in the environment. And if they're not ready for that, they can become an avenue for other things. So lay hands on no man suddenly. That's why Paul had a very clear criteria for someone to be both an elder and a deacon in the early church. Because they needed to have the character to handle the weight of both responsibility and authority. Because in the kingdom, God never gives responsibility without releasing the authority to fulfill that. When, we, when we, we have those positions, when, when you come and you join a ministry team or you occupy a role in the church, it may not look much like anything to you, but I'm telling you, in the spiritual realm, there is weight to that thing because all of a sudden, you have the authority to release things in that environment. And in order to do that, we need, in order to guard those, to guard the environment, we need to make sure the right people are occupying those positions of authority. We've all seen it. People who lack character stepping into a place of an anointing, a place of authority, and they can wreak havoc in the body of Christ. One of the great mysteries I'm accumulating questions that I'm gonna ask God when I get to heaven. And one of the great mysteries to me is, Lord, what is the deal with that, that Samson dilemma? What is the deal with you anointing people that lack the character to handle it and even after they fall into sin? There are people who start out well, get off track, but the... The, the undergirding character that holds that up, the character may stop here, but the anointing continues until finally it falls. And I, I, I wonder, Lord, why doesn't the anointing stop when the character does? Lord, you're smarter than me. I understand that. I'm just wondering. <laughs> okay? you know? What's the deal with that? There are people who because of their responsibilities, there are people that have been appointed to positions that they shouldn't have been, but God will honor the position. He'll honor that position of authority. There are people who no longer maintain the character necessary to lead well and function well, but there's still an authority there. And one of the great dilemmas for those of us in the body of Christ, we have to learn to navigate those waters. Places like Teen Challenge are so interesting because the lines of authority are so very clear. 
And it's required, I'm telling you. You come in there, you, it's, I had, I don't know how it is now, but we had to ask permission to get a drink of water. I mean, it was, and then after I got out of Teen Challenge, I go to this Bible school. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. This is where I want you to go. The pastor that was running this school, this is what he told me. Son, you need a haircut. Now, this was the early 80s when we all had long hair, except me, because I just got out of Teen Challenge. They made us cut it to the middle of our ears, and I felt naked. And this pastor comes to me and said, son, you need a haircut. Because if I can control your hair, I can control you. I thought, out of the fire, into the frying pan. (laughs) This guy was a controlling leader, and I needed him in my life. He said, I want it so short it can't touch your ears. We looked like something out of the 50s back then. But I needed that in my life because God was getting at something. And one of the great dilemmas for me was there were character issues in this gentleman's life that were concerning. I'm not talking about sexual moral failures or financial improprieties. I'm talking about anger issues and the way he treated people at times. And it was a real dilemma for me to have to function under his authority when there were obvious character flaws. But those were my greatest opportunities for submission. And what we had to do is there, were, there, are, there is protocol within the kingdom to address those things. We don't just say, well, I'm not going to submit to that guy's authority because I don't think he has character. There's protocol because you still honor the position. And those are great dilemmas. And if you've never faced that as a Christian, then either you don't understand authority, so you haven't had that opportunity because of your misunderstanding, or it'll happen eventually. (laughs) And it really is an opportunity for us to deal with ourselves. And that's why it's very important. I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, but that's why it's very important for Authority to be clear, but also for there to be accountability for everyone that authority is a two-way street and there needs to be accountability. And so if, 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 we, if you have a leader that there's no accountability, that's a scary thing because nobody is immune to their own flesh. So that's just, a, that's a freebie. We'll just move on. So this whole thing, what Paul was saying is Paul said, don't lay hands on any man suddenly The reason is that they've got to prove their character before you give them the position of authority. And the tragedy is that's no guarantee that they'll maintain that character. But there needs to be a healthy environment in which there's accountability. So if those cracks in the character begin to emerge, they can be addressed by the right people. Because authority is a heavy, heavy thing. This idea of authority... Authority is a real force in the spirit. There's two equal forces in the kingdom. Power and authority. They are distinct words in the New Testament. Matter of fact, power is translated out of several different words. And sometimes the word authority is translated power, but it would be the, the primary word for authority is exousia. It's It's a distinct word from power. Power is ability. It's strength 
an ability from God. There are people, Samson, when he had power from heaven, he had strength to do things with God that he couldn't do without him. It says the spirit of the Lord would come upon him. You remember he picked up the gates and carried them to the top of the mountain. That's power. He had ability to do things with God he couldn't do without God. Solomon, the power of God came on him and he became wiser than his peers. The brilliance came on him. There was ability from heaven when the power of God resided on him to know things and understand things and comprehend things that nobody else could. And it was ability from heaven. That's why we need to pray for that anointing, that spirit of wisdom and revelation. God can give you an anointing to have wisdom that other people don't have. That you will see things and know things other people don't. And that is certainly not just for a church environment. Man, we need that in government. We need that in business. God wants to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you can function and you can become the answer to human need and thereby be a good witness for the kingdom. So that's power, it's ability, it's strength from God to do things with God that you can't do. We've talked about this before. In the New Testament, there's three categories of spiritual gifts. There's Romans 12, the gifts from the Father. They're known as the motivational gifts. The Ephesians 4 gifts, they're gifts from the Son. They are the five-fold ministry. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, we have the gifts from the Spirit of God. Those are gifts of power. They're known as the charismatic or Pentecostal gifts. Gifts of healing, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. All of those are the power of God coming upon us and enabling us to do something with God we couldn't do something, we couldn't do without him. If you're just smarter because you studied, that's not the anointing. Now God can anoint your study, but I'm talking about that the power comes upon you and you have the ability to do things that you couldn't do without him. So much so that when Jesus said, Heal the sick. He didn't say, pray for them to be healed. He said, you heal them. Well, how do we do that? The power of God. It's the power of God coming upon you to do things you couldn't do if he wasn't on you. Those are gifts of power. But the gifts of Jesus in Ephesians 4 are gifts of authority. They are, they are um, governing gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's, it's the governing gifts in the body of Christ. And that is authority. The, the, the root word of our word authority is author. God is the author who authorizes people with authority. In other words, God is the source or the author of all authority. Only God has resident authority. It is in him. God emanates authority. And the more he is in the room, the more you become aware of that. There have been times where, I remember early on when I first got saved in Teen Challenge, we, we were in a prayer meeting, just, we were in the induction phase, just a bunch of us guys, and the spirit of God came in the room so strong. I remember burying my head in the carpet, this mangy shag carpet. Who knows how old it was, but I didn't care. I just needed to hide my face and I was afraid to look up lest I die because I knew he was in the room. I needed that experience. It recalibrated my heart. 
it, it re readjusted me to life. The author and all authority had entered the room. Only God has resident authority, but he delegates that by uh, releasing measures of authority by which he authorizes people to do things. So authority is permission. But we need to understand that it's actually a force from heaven. When the, the spiritual realm recognizes authority more than we do. We have this idea, well, that's just a person. But when they're occupying a position and they speak, it carries authority. You dads in this room, you mothers in this room, you carry authority in your home. And when you bind and loose and you release words in your home, it carries weight in the spiritual realm. Those of you who have ever been in a situation where you're, you're having to cast a demon out of somebody, you recognize that it's not a matter of power, it's a matter of authority. Healing is a matter of power. Deliverance is a matter of authority. Healing deals with broken things. Authority deals with rogue entities. And when you know your authority, you can drive that demon out. But if you, I remember the first time that ever happened to me, uh, it was, it was a, actually a three-year-old child that was working in a daycare. And uh, that's a long story. The second time it ever happened was when I was working for Teen Challenge. And it freaked me out. And Sandra Collier was sitting there. And this, Sandra was just so confident in her calling. She knew who she was in Jesus. And I needed someone to model that for me. Because when I would, you, you get out of here in Jesus' name, my voice is going high pitch. I'm just going, oh, and Sandra would just say, you knock it off in Jesus' name. I saw this guy literally stretch some of you this morning, but I saw him begin to grow as he went into this lotus position. And I'm like, and Sandra just said, stop it in Jesus' name. He shrunk back down and just looked at me. Sandra knew who she was. See, the enemy understands her authority. We need to understand her authority. Authority is position from heaven. And there is the authority of the believer. We all have a measure of authority. You are responsible for your little patch of ground in this world. You are responsible for your decisions. Your responsibility has corresponding authority from heaven. And as you grow and as you mature and as you grow in the Lord, you will have what's known as promotional authority. Paul deals with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, I, he said, I don't boast about work done in another man's field. He's talking about that field of ground delegated to him as an apostle. He had apostolic authority in a certain geographic region. He said, I long to preach the gospel beyond you. He said, I long to extend my boundary lines of authority. And then he tells us a very interesting thing, how to do that. He said, so I'm going to pour into you and as you grow, you'll place a greater demand on me that will force me to have to grow and then finally God will allow me to preach it beyond you. What's he saying? He was, he's saying that the secret to growing the level of authority that you walk in is being faithful in, in stewarding the authority you already have. Whatever patch of ground you're over right now, 
If you, on your job, whatever your responsibilities are, you make sure that the kingdom of heaven, there's order and things are being done with excellence in that little patch of ground, that you're going to make sure that there's a manifestation of the kingdom because things are done well because it's being done through you. And as you do that, what Paul says is as you begin to pour into those around you under your authority, they will begin to grow, place a greater demand on your leadership, which will force you to have to grow, and you will literally outgrow the patch of ground that you have. And God will expand your fence line and give you more responsibility. You'll have greater authority. This thing of authority is a fascinating thing to me. And it's a very real thing. There are places where you have authority and other places you don't. Now, we all have a measure of authority because of our place in Christ. When I go into another church, I don't usurp anybody's authority. I'm a man under authority to the head, the human leader of that church, and I'm going to honor that authority. There have been churches I've gone into that believe very differently than I have, and I've gone in there to preach, and I don't go and deal with issues that are contrary to that pastor's beliefs. That would be a violation of his authority. I am coming in under his authority. There are other pastors that will bring me in, and I know, I can tell that they're giving me a greater measure of authority to just be who I am. And so we need to understand these things about authority. There are places where God will call you and he will give you authority in those places to release the kingdom. And there's other places where you honor the authority that's there. And you function, you just, that, that, is, your, that is your role, just to honor them. There's other places that you'll go in and partner with them. But we need to understand this thing about authority. So this is why Paul said, lay hands on no man suddenly. Don't give somebody authority if their character can't handle it. If their character, if it's going to go to their head, if if they're going to not live it publicly, if not live privately what they proclaim publicly, then they're not ready to handle that authority. Because there is a weight to authority that we need to bear. And so this thing of laying on of hands, there are, there are times where God will bring, will have speakers in. I, I remember, let me close with this quick story. It's noon. Who, who'll give me just five minutes, five minutes. Raise your hand, five, 10, 15, 20. Okay. It, uh, this, uh, one time when Randy Clark was here, he was teaching on impartation. And I've been in services different countries where he's preaching at, different cities, and it's always the same. There is this release of tremendous power. There was a young man that had walked in the back door. He had had a dream about, uh, I'm not going to go into so many details. I don't know how much of this, some of you know this story, but he had a dream about a king and a specific type of vessel that this king was floating on. And, uh, it was a very vivid dream. He called his girlfriend. At the time, he was a cessationist, didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today. He called her and he said, I think I had a dream from God. And uh, she, he told her about it. 
Well, then, uh, and in the dream, he saw this mountain range. Well, a couple days later, she's working on a, a paper that she has for school, and she's got this big book, and there's this mountain range in the book. He sees it. He said, that's the mountain range. It was from this certain part of the, of the world, uh, uh, a Muslim country. And so he thought, that is just so weird. Why would God give me a dream about this place? He comes in. He, he, uh, someone told him, you need to go and you need to hear Randy Clark. And he, so he was going to go to Denver to find, hear Randy Clark and then scrolled down the page and found out, oh, he's going to be in Ankeny. So he comes. He's in the back of the room. Randy starts preaching on impartation and he begins to release the Spirit of God. He said, if there's anybody here, if you're feeling the presence of God upon you, come forward. God has an impartation for you. And there was a bunch of people came forward, but this particular guy was shaking violently. Randy went over to him, prayed for him, and boom, he hit the floor and he kept yelling out two words, two, two foreign words. And he thought, this must be tongues. He gets up off the floor and goes home and he thought, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna Google my tongues. Isn't that funny? He Googled his tongues. Guess what? Up came the picture of the king from his dream and the boat he saw in the picture. Because those two words, one was the home, the, the home uh, village of that king and one was the capital of the country that he functioned as king in. Long story short, he ended up as a missionary there and ministering to the royal family, which was part of the fulfillment of that dream. It's an amazing thing. But it came through impartation. There needs to be a humility that we carry that when there are people with an anointing, it doesn't mean we worship people. It doesn't mean that we say, well, you know, that, that, that uh, they, they have this special line to heaven that I, I can't get to God through them. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that one of the patterns of the kingdom is God will release gifts through people. And so I want to encourage you to be hungry. Be one of those people. Anytime you see someone with oily hands, get prayer. Because there are times where God will impart fresh things to you through the laying on of hands, which is foundational. Amen? Go ahead and stand. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, for each of these. Lord, I ask God that you just make us hungry. Just put your hand on your heart, would you? Father, we're asking, God, that you would stir up hunger within our heart, Lord, as we tell these stories, Lord, of those who have encountered you, Lord, and that you began to use in a greater way. Father, we're hungry to step into that. And Lord, we ask that you would prompt us to qualify ourselves for the next impartation by stewarding the last one well. Let me say it again. Lord, help us to qualify ourselves for the next one by stewarding the last one. Lord, help us to put to work what you've already put within us. Lord, let us not bury our talents, but invest them. Multiply what you've given to us, Lord. Lord, we ask for fresh impartation. Lord, we thank you for the fresh moving of your spirit. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a moving of the spirit that's coming I can, I can even see it this morning over some of you. There's a fresh moving of his spirit that we're on the front end of. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, prepare us. God, deal with our hearts, Lord. 
deal with those things that would cause us to disqualify ourselves down the road. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we're hungry for you. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.